You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast. We really appreciate your reviews on iTunes and also uh, your subscriptions. It really helps grow the show and grow the audience. Just wanted to remind you, we've got a couple great upcoming guest interviews with Robert Kiyosaki and Tom Realwright, who's a rich dad advisor and, and more famously known as the CPA for Robert Kiyosaki, and also Jamie from Eventual Millionaire we'll have on the show. Also, you know, we've had several people reach out that have a specific profession. And so we've been able to do some interviews recently that will be released in the future. We've had a nurse, a teacher, and also a guy that was homeless for a few years and, and kind of came from the streets to becoming worth over probably 10 million by now. And uh, so those interviews will be dropping here in the near future. Once again, we appreciate your reviews on iTunes, and we appreciate you subscribing to the show. So without further ado, let's get into the intro for today's episode. So on today's episode, we have Bo, and Bo's net worth is about 4.5 to 5 to 6-ish, depending on how he, how he values his businesses. He's got about $3 million in his main core business, which is an HR outsourcing firm. He's got about eight hundred grand uh, in the market, uh, which is primarily in some uh, stocks that he and his financial advisor, his RA... Have uh, have picked, and then he's got a paid for house valued around seven hundred thousand, and then some odds and ends, and some other business ventures, and some land. We talked to him about small business and and valuing small businesses and investing in small businesses in the episode. We get into a few things uh, regarding his journey as an entrepreneur, from when he was making less than six hundred and seven hundred dollars a month when he opened some of his businesses to his best earning year, which was over $1.2 million. So without further ado, let's get right into the episode with Bo. Welcome to Millionaires Unveiled Podcast. Today on the show, we've got Bo. Bo, do you want to just give us a little about your background and what you're doing now? Yeah, sure, man. Um, so basically, uh, my, my core business is consulting. It's an HR aggregated shared services firm, and uh, that means nothing to most people. So to put it simply, we do payroll, work comp, and health insurance for small and mid-sized businesses throughout the USA. We partner businesses with service providers. That's the core business, and I'm also involved in a few different venture deals. Uh, we have a safe company. Uh, I have some various real estate holdings. Um, we have an insurance agency here locally, which operates in about four states. Um, that's, that's pretty much the overhead view of me. Awesome. And what's your net worth today? So uh, my net worth is a moving target. Uh, depends on how you value the businesses, but it's between 4.4 million and 5.9. 4.4 being a more conservative valuation, and leaving out some of the real estate. Um, if you look at my net worth purely as what's marked to the market um, and easier to value asset classes, 4.4 to 4.6 million is a more reasonable amount. Okay, and let's let's break that down a little bit for our, for our listeners. Sure. Uh, 700,000 approximately is a uh, fair value in my primary residence. Um, my business, my core business is worth around 3 million. I have 200,000 plus in value in venture businesses. And that's at the most recent round of valuations, uh, being reasonable, not putting any kind of insane multiple on them, roughly 400,000 in equities and cash on hand. 
um, and between 1.2 to 1.5 million in additional real estate holdings. Also, depending on how you value it, a lot of it's raw land. So it's, I mean, it, there's no real easy comparable, but that's the overhead view. Well, how old are you? 34. How are you able to build it up so fast? I mean, that's pretty crazy. If we take the average of the two numbers you gave us, let's call it five million. How are you able to build it up so fast? You graduated. I don't know if you went to college, but that's 21, 22. And and in 13 years, you're able to build it to five million. Sure. Um, So not by contributing 18,500 to a 401k or being an employee of a traditional job. It just doesn't work that way that quickly. I mean, that's a great way to make a decent net worth, you know, one to two million and retire at 55 to 60. Um, I've been an entrepreneur in some sort uh, since I was 16 years old. I did graduate high school. I went to college for one semester, and I recall getting to a debate with my geography teacher, um, ironically about business. Um, this was a semester one of college, and at that point, I found that it just it wasn't really suitable for the future I was looking for. I, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I was an entrepreneur at age 16. I had another business at 18. Um, so I built the businesses over the years fairly quickly. I've always been pretty good at earning an income. Uh, my best earning year to date is a little over 1 million. So that obviously helps build a net worth a bit quicker. And um, that's the gist of it. I mean, it's uh, being a higher earner, saving a lot of money, making some pretty decent investments. And, um, you know, I, I just, the reason I started another business of mine, which is madwealth.com. And it's, I say business loosely, it's more of an, outreach program, so to speak, for me, or an outlet to speak to people about personal finances. I found that as good as I've done in business, it's more fulfilling to help other people. I mean, obviously, that sounds cliche, uh, but local friends and family over the last few years, I've been able to help a lot of people and make a decent impact in their lives when it comes to personal finance. Uh, Some people were doing some really smart things. Uh, Most people were doing some really dumb things, so to speak. Uh, but it has such a profound impact on someone's life when you can come in and help them clean up their personal finances. Just from a friend standpoint, you know, I always tell everybody I'm not a CFA, I'm not a financial advisor. That's not what I do. I just enjoy helping people uh, get on their path. So the goal with the website was to help more people uh, create a larger impact. And that's how I got to that point. Awesome. So, so again, for our listeners, that's uh, madwealth.com. So let's dive into into your story here a little further. So you graduate high school at, at 17, 18 or so. And, and and then where did you go from there? One semester of college? And then did you start a business? Did you start working for a small business? Or what was the next step? So historically, um, and the timeline is a little fuzzy for me because it's, it's been a lot of in and out businesses. Uh, what I typically do is go work for whatever business I'd like to start in any type of uh, genre or version of employment and uh, learn that business and then try to do it myself. That's that's what I've always done, um, including with my current businesses today. Um, So I graduated high school in 2002, Um, did roughly, I mean, one, I mean, it was probably legitimately most of one semester of college uh, before I found that wasn't for me. My first business was a performance auto parts store. Uh, That was a good lesson learned in that we did great gross revenue and I had no idea how to run a business. Um, So it was, almost a a version of an MBA um, in the sense of just life experience. Uh, Fast forward to 2005, I had a couple health clubs, um, got up to three, um, an ownership interest in three health clubs. Uh, 2007, 2008, um, I had moved down to one 
uh, health club. I had some real estate investments at that time. Um, then in, during the recession, we closed our last health club facility. And uh, that was sort of a, you know, an eerie wake up call for me. Um, it took me about a year of learning the next business, which was a nutrition store. Um, at the time, bodybuilding.com was very popular. A lot of online nutrition stores were popping up. I saw that as a good large scale way to make a you know, a good living moving forward. And I like the business to be quite honest. I'm a bodybuilder by hobby. Um, so we did that, um, had a nutrition store, um, opened one, opened the second one with a workout partner, a friend of mine, uh, that second nutrition store, my partner, uh, turned out to be one of the founders of one of the first PEOs, which stands for professional employer organization in the U S. Um, he had a good relationship with that guy. He asked me to come work for him. I did. So, um, was able to do fairly well at that business. Uh, worked there for a couple of years. Um, and the short story is I met another broker through that business, uh, learned what he did, convinced uh, my current business partner to start a brokerage firm. We did. It went okay. Um, but over time, I learned that being a broker was just a, a phone, a computer, and understanding the business. So I started my own consulting company past that, and um, other businesses and whatnot have followed. And that was probably 20 13, give or take. Oh, good for you. So I'm reminded, I don't know if you've heard of Clayton Christensen, but he's a Harvard professor. He wrote a book called How Will You Measure Your Life? And one piece of that book, he talks about, it, you know, knowing your end goal, if that's to own a business or to own a certain type of business, then take the steps you to get there. Take the steps that, you know, even if it's a lateral or a backwards move, put yourself in a situation to learn a skill set that you haven't learned. So it sounds like you did that jumping into each of the businesses that you kind of wanted to start. Was was a lot of the time that an entry-level position? Um, you know, some of it was. Um, I, I've always been a fairly fast learner, so I, I was able to excel fairly quickly. Um, but I, I suppose the businesses prior to working in a PEO, which in a PEO, you really need to understand all the facets of business in general, as far as workers' compensation insurance, health insurance, payroll functions, uh, 401k retirement, PEOs encompass all of that. And I dealt with all those separate things, having owned businesses and had employees prior. So that somewhat gave me a leg up in understanding that industry. Um, so I, I had some fairly entry level positions. Uh, my first salary, I want to say was 35,000 a year at the PEO I went to work for. Um, and, you know, but I've, I've never been a one income source type of guy. I've always had one, two, three, four, five different ventures going. Um, you know, I wasn't diagnosed ADD, but now that I say this out loud, maybe I am, you know? <laughs> yeah. So when you're starting a new business or a new venture, how much money do you typically invest in those businesses and how much research do you kind of do getting into the business before you kind of put your capital to work? It really depends. Um, and, and needing a lot of money is really a fallacy that a lot of people have about starting a business. It, it's rare that you need a lot of capital to get off the ground. There's generally a smarter or a more effective and efficient way to go about that. Um, the number one thing with a business is human capital, in my opinion, and that's your time and your understanding of what you're attempting to accomplish. Uh, one thing the PEO business taught me, and I also learned this from the gentleman who mentored me, is transactional scale, uh, meaning that's you know, the business model of transactional scale, as in doing the most you can with the least amount of resources. And I've always really taken that part when it comes to looking to start a business. 
Um, so the largest single investment I've made has been on these venture type of deals, uh, which was 50,000 in cash. Um, this was obviously later on in my career after I'd made some successful businesses of my own. Uh, but typically, I mean, if, I, if I'm starting a new business, it, it doesn't cost much. I mean, it's under a thousand dollars to incorporate, get licensed in most areas and, you know, get whatever startup necessary, let's say a template website. And in terms of your, your passive investments, do you have a target ROI or, or a return that you're looking for when you either put money into, you know, some of the land you said you did or into real estate or into other ventures? Um, not necessarily a, a flat target ROI. I like the, you know, obviously as an asset class from an investment standpoint, the highest ROI is always going to come from businesses uh, simply because businesses can produce cash flow. And it's really hard to replicate that. I had a conversation with a friend of mine uh, recently, uh, and we were discussing a business that we're looking at purchasing an equity stake in and rolling into another one of our entities. And the five-year cash flow that we're looking at on that business is five hundred thousand a year. And you know, he he said, uh, "You ever think about how much it would cost to you know have or how much money you would need on hand to generate this type of cash flow?" Um, and I, you know, sure, five hundred thousand dollars a year, roughly twenty-five million. And how long does it take to save up twenty-five million? A long time, because of the way tax law works today. You're you're fairly well penalized when you earn in excess of a million dollars. It's just it's difficult, especially from a consulting firm standpoint or something like that. So um, that's as far as ROI goes. By far, the best asset class is the business asset class. Um, past that, I just look for quality investments. I mean, I, I, I'm not one of those guys who has an interest in owning a bunch of index funds and letting the market dictate my future. That's just not, that's not for me. I don't think there's anything wrong with it per se. It's just not an optimal way to invest. If you really have an understanding of the markets overall, it's certainly a passive way to invest, but I've no interest in a passive future. I'd like to have an active role in where things end up for me and my family. That's just my personal opinion. So how many different small businesses are you invested in right now? Uh, you know, um, we have a brokerage firm, an insurance agency, a safe company, a real estate holding firm. Uh, my wife owns and operates an accounting firm. Uh, so that's five. Uh, I'm trying to think. It's, uh, I mean, between seven and eight, I'm going to guess. Uh, it's and it's not to say that I don't pay attention to everything. I just don't think of it in those terms. It's just all things I participate in on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. Some of it requires very little effort. Some of it at times requires a lot. That's sort of another misnomer people have about businesses. Well, if you have five businesses, you have five jobs. Maybe if you structure it that way, or maybe you have five things that require some attention on a monthly, quarterly, or annual basis. I mean, it's all about how you structure things. Not everything has to be a full-time job. Sure. And do you invest in small businesses outside of your own? Uh, from a startup standpoint, yes, um, but not on a regular basis. It, it, it's um, it's friends and family. Uh, I've got one that I was linked to uh, through a friend of mine um, who's actually an advisor. Um, so yes and no. I mean, I don't actually go out and seek small businesses to invest in. I, I don't look for, uh, I, I'm not a venture capital guy. Um, I use the term ventures in the sense of a new venture or starting a small venture, but that's really not my go-to thing. I, I like things I can be involved in. And to me, it's only interesting if I can make an economic impact on the business. Uh, if it's something I know nothing about and have no intention of learning about, then that's not something for me. 
Yeah. Uh, so you have, you have about seven, eight streams of income. It, it, do you plan to just keep growing those? Do you plan to have multiple streams of income? Do you have a net worth goal? Where do you see yourself going forward? Um, well, one of my first goals is to have a business, and it's arbitrary, that produces a billion dollars in annual revenue. Um, and that's just more of an arbitrary goal that I've, I've always had. Um, you know, Once you hit a business that does a million dollars in revenue, you want the next level, the next level. As far as net worth goals, I don't have one. I have no intention of stopping. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of the financial independence community. Um, one of the acronyms, as you guys know, is FIRE, Financial Independence Retire Early. But the RE part really has no bearing on my future. Um, I have no idea what I would do all day. I, I enjoy the game. I enjoy winning. That's what I enjoy about business. Um, obviously, financial gain becomes incremental at a certain point as far as using money as a utility. Uh, there's only so much you can do with it. Uh, but it, it, the game of business is definitely one for me. I don't ever see stopping that, uh, making the sale, making a difference in someone's company, uh, making an impact on a group of employees' lives. All those things, I see no wanting to stop in that arena, if that makes sense. Yeah, I guess when does the game end? Does it for you or it just doesn't and, and you always want to be working, you always want to be contributing, you always want to be building something up? Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't see an end of the game. I mean, I guess it'll end when I close my eyes for the last time in my life. Now that may change over the years, but I have two kids now, um, so I, you know, I, of course I enjoy spending time with them. I enjoy going to all the kids' events, um, and I've structured my life in a way that that's still possible. I don't miss cheerleading events for my daughter. I don't miss t-ball games for my son. Um, so I don't let business get in the way. I just work business in, and it's worked out well so far. If that ever becomes a balance issue, at that point, I guess I'll address it. Sure. How many hours a week do you think you work? You know, I had this question asked to me recently, a friend of mine, and I have no idea because I don't track it in that time frame. I usually wake up between 5 and 6 a.m., I'll roll over and answer a few emails from the night prior. Um, you know, I'll do a workout, uh, eat a small breakfast. I've got a home gym, um, you know, a small commercial gym I built in my house um, just because I'm an avid fitness enthusiast. I believe staying in shape helps in all facets of life, including, uh, but not limited to discipline. Um, I'll work for a few hours in the office. I typically almost every day go to some form of lunch meeting, uh, to go outside and network. That's something new for me this year. I don't particularly enjoy eating out, but I do enjoy spending time with friends and business colleagues and discussing that. So I'll do that lunch. Um, after that, I'll work for another hour or two, uh, grab a secondary workout. Typically the first is cardio, the second is weights. Um, go inside, spend some time with the family. Um, and then right now, for example, I'm back in my office to talk to you nice gentlemen. Um, so that's a typical day for me. I have no idea how many hours I work in a week, but I'm sort of always on 24-7, uh, so to speak. That's a little bit inaccurate. It's between 9.30 and 5.30 or 10 and 6, I'm asleep. But other than that, I'm available work-wise. Sure, but you have the flexibility to, to work around your own schedule. That's right, yeah. So you 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 mess you message uh, uh, being diligent and and I think you're you're a diligent person and and you're focused and and what role do you think that's played in in your success and what role do you think that plays in the financial success of other people? I mean it's uh, you know discipline overall is probably the single most important and most overlooked aspect of financial success and for me I built the discipline muscle through fitness um, I've you know I've probably missed less than. I don't know, less than five workouts in the past 20 years. I started when I was 14. I'd wake up back then at 4.30 in the morning and bum a ride from a friend of mine who could drive before I could. Um, so 
you know, building the discipline muscle is huge. Uh, the difference in financial fitness and physical fitness, physical fitness requires daily effort. Financial fitness, you can become fairly well off by setting it and forgetting it. Um, so it requires far less effort. It just requires the discipline to continually invest, continually save. Um, so I think that's, uh, it, you know, between the two, it's easier. But discipline definitely plays a part. The more disciplined people are in life, and I've met a, a, a good bit of successful people. I know a lot of guys who are far more successful than myself, and they're all fairly or extremely disciplined individuals. Uh, that's one common trait. Earlier, you mentioned that, that you're looking at a business that's got five hundred thousand dollars a year in cash flow. When you're evaluating an opportunity like that, what are the kinds of things that that you're looking for? That you're looking at in terms of the, what the marketplace has to offer, and and what that business might have to offer, and how it fits in in your kind of portfolio. Sure, that specific uh, cash flow number is assuming a certain growth rate on an existing business we're looking at acquiring today. Um, and how we value those is we, we look at if it's uh, strategic to what we're doing now or the direction we want to go in the future. Um, with a with a rare exception, everything I do is based on similar or corresponding quadrants. The only reason I have an insurance agency is on request from offshoot accounts from my brokerage. Um, I tried to refer business out in the past to other agents, both locally and nationally, and it tends to be difficult. So in order to take better care of clients, I brought that in-house. That way we have an option for that. So um, though I'm not an insurance agent by trade, we do have insurance agents on staff. Um, so we look at something that either needs to be complementary or compelling enough to look at getting going down a different avenue. That's if it's going to be an active business. If it's going to be a fairly passive business, it just needs to be attractive and have a viable future. Interesting. And and what's been your kind of take on on working with and investing in businesses with with other partners? Um, it's everybody's different. Um, I've had uh, over the years, I've had some great partners. Uh, my first couple partners in business were terrible, to be honest. It was they were terrible relationships. Um, but I'm thankful for them because I learned a lot and I learned a lot about what to look for from a personality standpoint. Um you know, how quickly or not quickly to go into business with someone, um, how to align your values. Um, a lot of things that you just wouldn't learn in business school, uh, but the school of hard knocks, it teaches them pretty well. Um, so, I, you know, I, I don't know the best way to say that, but I, over time, you just gain a sense for those things. So, and that's not to say I couldn't make a mistake in the future. I'm human. You know, anybody in the business world is human, but when you're evaluating partners, it helps to have uh, value paradigms that are aligned. That's my opinion. So you're 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 not against or for going into partner, just whether the situation makes sense or not, kind of thing. Sure. Yeah, and that's I mean, a business partnership is a marriage, so to speak, to a certain extent. But it, you know, it it can be passive. Uh, so if you're looking at a business where someone needs capital, for example, you fully understand their business, they need capital to execute and you understand what they're doing and they've executed in the past. That's an easier partnership to go in. Yeah. You know, it's so that they can secure capital. Now, if it's a, you know, your friend wants to start a barbecue restaurant, but you know, he makes great barbecue. That's probably a bad business. You know, most restaurants fail. That's, that's fairly obvious over the years, you know, but we all know that now, but that's, I mean, if it's complementary to what you're already doing, it's an easier decision, of course. And, you know, luckily in the PEO space touches a lot of facets of business. So a lot of things are complementary to that type of thing. As far as a PEO encompasses workers' compensation insurance, health insurance, payroll, 
uh, 401k and human capital and HR compliance. So that's a lot of things that could be complimentary. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Have you have you invested in in either a business coach or masterminds or anything to to kind of network, or has you kind of just grown your network with with the people in your circles? Uh, I've grown through the people in my circles, but I just this past month visited a local breakfast group um, that was ran by a business coach or is currently ran by a business coach. They meet once a month, and one of my goals for 2018 was to focus more on networking because I'm very uh, lone soldier mentality um, just by nature. I mean, I just, when something needs to get done, my first thought is just do it, accomplish it, do what needs to be done to accomplish that task. Uh, but one of my goals for this year was to network more. Um, and just a couple of days ago, I had lunch with a business coach, um, you know, just to sort of pick his brain and see what he thought, what type of companies he works with, you know, what does he think about what I'm doing? And, you know, it was, it was fruitful. So I'm not opposed to mastermind groups. They just haven't personally get me they haven't gotten me where I am today. That's not to say I don't need one to get to the next level. Yeah, it's an interesting topic in, in the marketplace now with, with business owners and, and executives and stuff. You mentioned you've got uh, a couple kids. What, what's been your approach to either teaching your kids entrepreneurship or financial independence or, or business in general? And, and have, has that been something that's been part of what you've done at home? You mentioned your wife's got an accounting business as well. Yeah, yeah, we're um, we're we're fairly strict with the kids on uh, finances. Um, I've always enjoyed the sales positions in life, so my kids have chores and they don't get an allowance; they get a commission. Um, so um, right now, they're ages five and seven. It's very difficult for my five-year-old boy to understand commission um, as a structure. He's starting to get it a little bit, but my seven-year-old daughter, she understands it fairly well. Uh, she knows that she wants to buy a new toy. She has X amount of things she needs to do. Uh, an X amount of money she needs to save. And every time they earn commission, part of that goes to investing, part of that goes to saving, part of that goes to spending, and part of that goes to charitable functions for the future. So I just break it down into quadrants, try to make it understandable to them. Um, you know, it's it's something I feel is very important. I don't want them to grow up entitled. I don't want them to grow up, you know, not understanding the meaning of hard work. So you know, it's important to me. Am I doing a good job? I don't know. Time will tell. Uh, but we're certainly trying. What's your take on generational wealth? And uh, have you and your wife always been on the same page? Yeah, my wife and I have always been on the same page. Um, I have somewhat of a biblical view on generational wealth. I believe the the saying is a wise man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Um, talking with a financial advisor, friends of mine, and a couple of friends of mine who've had multi-generational businesses, it's uncommon um, that two generations in a row are able to produce a high income. Um, it's it's just unlikely that, you know, for example, I'll be a high income earner. It's unlikely my son or daughter will be a equally high or greater income earner. It just doesn't typically happen that way. Not necessarily because they're incapable, but because that isn't where life uh, leads them. She may want to be a teacher and he may want to be a firefighter and there's nothing wrong with that. Um but from a generational wealth standpoint, I, I do believe in building a dynasty, creating a legacy. Um, that's that's something that, you know, like I said, I, I believe in it from a biblical standpoint. I'm a Christian man, and that's that's where I fall on the issue. We talked a little bit about the show be, or before recording, excuse me, about a financial advisor. Do you, you use a financial advisor? And if so, yes. what, do you, what do you gain from them? And, and what was the consideration and whether to start using one? 
Sure. Um, I use a financial advisor. Um, it's an RIA firm based out of Gainesville, Georgia, called JT Stratford. Um, they manage a little over $400 million in assets. Uh, so they're a large firm, but they're not a gigantic firm. Um, so they somewhat still have a boutique feel. I've got a great relationship with them. Uh, I personally feel it's very valuable to be bouncing things off them. Um, I don't believe in passive index fund investing uh, as the only strategy. I know that's uh you know, well, that's really gained a lot of traction, especially in the past five years. The money pouring into index funds is, um, un, you know, unparalleled with history. Um, but that also tends to happen in a long going bull market. Um, so if you take, you know, just an example of this, if you take 2017, tech stocks made up 41 percent of the growth of the S&P 500, just as an example. Um, so sure, your S&P 500 went up maybe 25, 28%, uh, give or take that year. Uh, but had you invested in a handful of tech stocks, you may have made double or triple that. So, and a good advisory firm is gonna be able to identify those opportunities. Now the, the advisory firm I work with believes in value investing. They value companies, um, they, they have a good idea of what the company's actually worth, not necessarily what it's worth today as far as what it's marked to the market at at that present time, what the company's assets and future earnings growth, uh, what that's going to be. So that's the type of investing I believe in. It's the same type of investing Warren Buffett does. It's worked out pretty well for that guy. Uh, he may tell you to do index funds, but I believe in put your money where your mouth is. And that's not what he does. So that's where I'm at. With and do you pay them as a percentage of your holdings or as a percentage of your return? How, how is that structured? It's a percentage of assets under management. Um, as an RIA, there are, they are a fiduciary. So they have a Know, fiduciary responsibility to do what's best. And um, it's a sliding scale, I believe, at their firm. I'm not positive in a while um, since I've looked at that. But it's, I mean, my guess is it's 75 or so basis points. I, I don't pay so much attention to that. To be honest with you, my returns have been good enough to where 75 basis points is negligible. Now, surely right now there's somewhere, somebody somewhere in the financial independence community doing an expense ratio chart, charting how much that uh, cost me. Uh, versus being in index funds, but I'll gladly <laughs> compare portfolio returns with that gentleman and see who came out best. And what have, what have your returns been in, in, with, with those guys? You know, I I don't micromanage my returns, um, but they've been fairly high double digits. We've outperformed the market the past few years, um, not by uh, not by a great amount, uh, but that's not the only value I believe in an RIA now. While we've outperformed the market, we've had a handful of investments that have done extremely well. I can think of one right now that's up 348% from where we bought it. Um, that's an outlier. Not all of our stock picks, or I say our their stock picks, I have no bearing on this, have been up that high. Uh, but, you know, we've, we've definitely had some that have performed extremely well. Um, the other value I see in an RIA is the rebalancing aspect. Um, I can tell you with certainty that if I were an individual picking a stock and that stock were up 348%, I wouldn't have the discipline to rebalance my portfolio to bring that value down in line with where it should be as a percentage of my assets. Um, a good RIA firm is going to do that for you because to them, it, it's a long run. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Um, a good individual investor, possibly even the best individual investor, isn't likely to have that you know, I guess say wherewithal to rebalance a portfolio when necessary. And, you know, please take all this with a grain of salt. I'm, I'm not a financial planner. I'm not a financial advisor. I'm just a guy who pays attention. And do they know about all your business investments and real estate investments? 
Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm an advisor specifically at that firm does. Um, you know, I don't out it with everyone there. I mean, I'm, I'm involved in a lot, but I, I know guys that are involved in far more than me. Uh, for the most part, people still today just don't talk a lot about money. It's still a taboo subject for a lot of people. It's coming out more in the past, really the past 24, 36 months, um, which tends to happen in a long bull market. People you know, tend to do well long enough. Everybody wants to invest. Um, everybody wants to get on the train, um, which is great. I'd love to see everyone invest more. Um, but I think the true value in an RIA firm, getting back to that, will be shown more in the next bear market. I don't know when that'll be. Uh, I'm not wishing it to be anytime soon. But I think that's where the index fund uh, faithful will see value. Yeah. What mistakes have you made along the way, Bo? I made some pretty terrible business mistakes. Um, you know, I've made plenty of mistakes, and I'm glad you pointed that out or brought that up, rather. Um, my first foray into the gym business, I grew far too quickly. Um, I was not intelligent enough to set aside enough cash reserves. Um, I didn't start investing in the market um, as young as I would have liked to have been. I've uh, wasted a gratuitous amount of money on automobiles, uh, albeit I love them. I haven't had Lamborghinis and Ferraris or anything like that, but I've had some just under $100,000 vehicles, uh, a handful of them sometimes, a handful of them once. Um, <laughs> and that's not to say there's anything wrong with that. I mean, I'm an automotive guy. I enjoy it. Um, but, you know, I and I, I've told you prior to this call, my views on personal finance run very contrarian to the financial independence community. Um, for example, I'm, I'm the type of guy, I mean, I, I like a nice watch, so sometimes I wear a Rolex. Uh, people will argue uh, financially that's a bad way to spend eight to 10, 12, sometimes $30,000, depending on the watch. Um, I'll argue it's an asset that holds value and it's just diversification. And if eight to $10,000 is a real concern for you, then you're probably not going to have the type of future that I'm looking for. My my goal in life or my goal for, you know, to bring the movement to the community is what I refer to as true financial freedom. Um, and what that's not is riding a bicycle to work and eating grapes so I can retire on 15000 a year. That, to me, sounds horrifying. I'm sure it's a great life for somebody. It's not what I aspire to. Uh, true financial freedom, uh, in my terms, uh would necessitate an ultra high net worth, which would be DECA millionaire and above. So 10 million plus. Um, that's what I see as a as a good goal. And that's not a stopping point, but that's a great start. What's the household that you grew up in? Did you grow up with entrepreneurial parents or, or you know, how have you how, how have you come to think like this? Sure. Uh, my dad um, was entrepreneurial. Um, but not um, in a grand sense. Uh, my dad grew up literally dirt floor poor, um, as in for a period of his childhood, he slept on a dirt floor. Um, he worked uh, 30 years at General Motors uh, on the assembly line, except for unlike most people, um, my dad in his younger days would wake up at 2.30 or 3 a.m., go in, work an early shift to get off and go to work for a construction company. Um, after a few years, he started to build houses. He did well with that. Um, he developed some neighborhoods, nothing huge, um, but he was a spec home builder for a number of years, and that was an entrepreneurial venture. He owned a few rental properties, typically low income, uh, but he worked a day job and did this the whole time. So he was able to retire with a pension and uh, had built up some assets. So my you know, hard work was always, I, I guess I just saw it. Um, you know, uh, it wasn't uncommon in my high school days when I was a little bit of a wilder person. Um, 
my dad would be getting up, you know, four in the morning and I would be getting home. Um, so I, I saw him getting up to go to work and I'd be getting home from some type of party or something. And I guess that sticks with you. Um, you see what hard work can accomplish. And, you know, he's, his goal was never anything like my goal today, but I think that certainly seeing that amount of hard work played a, uh, played a role. And my mom would help him run the business day to day. She's always been in poor health. Uh, my mom's always had health issues, still does to this day. Uh, but she was also an entrepreneurial spirit and she was very supportive of my dad. So, and I'm thankful for the upbringing. Wow. Good for that. So I want to go into some, uh, millionaire rapid fire questions here before we close. What's the most expensive pair of jeans or pants you've ever purchased? Um, you know, I, I tend to buy clothes in batch. Um, I don't really buy expensive clothes. It's just not a thing for me. Um, so the last time I bought jeans was lucky brand at a local outlet mall. I want to say they were on sale for $30 a pair and I bought six pairs and that'll be it for me jeans wise for the next five years. <laughs> All right. Most expensive pair of shoes. Um, again, not really expensive on the shoes. I, 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 I don't terribly care for them, but most recently, um, I do a lot of cardiovascular activity. Um, I'm a, I'm a heavier guy, so I bought some shoes from a local running store. I want to say the brand is Atria or Altria, something like that. Um, they look funny. They're extremely padded, and they were $140, so that. Okay, can't get you on the jeans or the shoes, but we'll get you on the car. Most expensive car you purchased? Most expensive, that's, that's a tough one. Um, probably a Corvette Z06. Um, it was a 2017 or 16 model year. And um, eighty-five thousand, give or take. Um, so just under a hundred. I've not broken that threshold yet. That's still a pain point. I can't see past. <laughs> okay, most expensive meal out that you've paid for. Say that one more time. Most expensive meal out that you've. Paid oh, most for. expensive meal out. Um, when I turned twenty-one years old, I covered about a fourteen hundred dollar bar tab. I was an entrepreneur at the time. That was way more money than I should have spent, and that was uh, dinner and drinks for. All the friends that came with me that night, birthday boy paid the bill. Nice. Uh, what items or item, what item or items or experiences are, are worth spending the money on for you? You know, I'm not an experience-based guy. I'm trying to get a little better about that. You know, everything you read says experiences are are the way to go. Me personally, I like buying assets. If I pay five thousand dollars for something, I'd like to know it's worth five thousand dollars tomorrow. Uh, the best experience spend I've had in the past year, um, very simple, very nominal. Uh, we spent um, several thousand dollars taking the kids to Disney World and uh, dovetailed in the backside of that trip with a Disney cruise. They had a blast, priceless memories. That's the best experience money I've spent, and that was roughly four months ago. Nice. Uh, what was your high school GPA? You know, uh, I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm, I wasn't uh, a dumb guy in high school. It wasn't a three something. Um, ironically, the only class I didn't get a high, high A in a plus uh, was math, um, geometry, C minus. So whatever the equivalent of all A pluses and one C would be, that was me. Wow. So three, nine uh, high school and then yeah. no college. Give or take. Yeah, no, I mean, I went to a semester of college. It just wasn't, and I'm not opposed to higher education. I'm sure it plays an important role and I'm, you know, I, I intend on my kids to have the option to go. I just won't push them to. Uh, but yeah, that's that's where I landed. Okay, and uh, I guess this is going to be a tough question for you. But range of income through your work in life? Um, the lowest income uh, would be when we first started a nutrition store. Um, 
I want to say some months it was five to seven hundred dollars um, living with friends, obviously uh, crowdsourcing. In um, the best years, a little over one point two million thus far. So um, whatever six hundred dollars a month is, was seventy two hundred dollars a year, um, and all the way to one point two. So it's a broad range, um, but you know, there's a lot of time left. Yep, and that's the life of the entrepreneur. You one one follow up question earlier. You mentioned that you had about seven hundred k in your house. Is that a is your house paid off, or is that just the equity you've built up in it? My house is paid off, and um, I, another thing I realized it runs contrary, and every all the math says to take out a mortgage, uh, but I paid cash for it, and I enjoy knowing it's paid for. Yeah, so so go into that decision a little bit. Was that something that you had kind of done? Uh, previously with a previous house or was this the first house you purchased and decided, Hey, I'm just going to go ahead and pay cash and, and not have to worry about a mortgage. Um, it, this was the first house we purchased. Uh, well, that's not really accurate. So we'd had a house prior to that. My wife's father had bought for her to live in and I lived there with her for a period of time. It was sort of her college housing. Um, he had obviously taken out a loan and bought that. Um, so prior to that, that was taken care of. Um, but it wasn't a very conscious decision. I had a lot going on business-wise, um, and you know, I, I was aware the math would work otherwise. But I had the cash on hand. Um, the deal was good, and you know, and the market was getting hot slowly in this area. Um, so we just made the offer, and they accepted. We made the purchase. Didn't take long. Cash closing's a little cleaner. So that's that's why we came to that decision. Good. And and then one other follow-up question too. When you met your wife, was she pretty entrepreneurial too, or or is it kind of a, a warm up conversation to tell her what it's like being married to an entrepreneur? You know, uh, my wife's uh, dad was entrepreneurial, um, so she was accustomed to it. Um, but her risk ometer is nothing like mine. She's very, <laughs> <laughs> she is. Uh, she she probably thinks a lot of what I do is crazy. She probably thinks a lot of the numbers I talk about are crazy. Um, over the years, um, I joke with her, um, the first, uh, really good year we had, um, I had told her how much money we were going to make that year. And she said, uh, well, that just sounds great. You know, I'd, I'll be really excited when that happens. Uh, so after it happened, I would say, what do you think of all that imaginary money? I mean, it's uh, cause she didn't really think it was going to happen. Um, you know, I, I could tell she wasn't confident in it. She said, no, it's great. And I said, you didn't believe me. She said, yes, I did. So I, I still joke to this day about the imaginary income. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's a fun thing to do for us. That's um, awesome. Yeah, and, and I've drug her down the entrepreneurial line. She, uh, her first job was with a local oil company in accounting, and I eventually got her to her own accounting firm, and she enjoys it. She loves making her own schedule, and now she's glad she did. Yeah, that's awesome. And and do your friends all kind of know your your level of wealth? Uh, um, you know, we don't talk specifically about numbers. I think a lot of them. I mean, just because of you know my my habits and hobbies, I think they know I'm doing okay. Um, I've I've made it a point in the past couple of years since I became involved in personal finance to try to dig into my friends and you know some of them have been doing great for themselves and I'm super proud of these guys and um, I, I don't have a lot of entrepreneurial friends. I have a handful of them. You know, when I say friends, I mean my high school friends. Yeah. Um, a lot of the guys, a lot of the guys I spend time with today are entrepreneurial. Um, so that's. You know, I, I enjoy asking them questions and, you know, and not to be confused. There's a lot of people I spend time with that I learn a lot from. I'm by far not the most successful in my group, um, not by any means. And I'd like it to always be that way. So 
I have things to aspire to and people to elevate me. I think that's key. Good stuff. Bo with a net worth of four to six, depending on the range of, uh, of equity in the business. Hey, thanks for coming on the show today. Hey, thanks for your time, fellas. I appreciate it. I enjoyed it. And you guys have a great night. You too. Awesome. Thanks, Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.